for exclusive podcasts and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Pamela Bow from Wichita. Sorry. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Pamela Bow. I'll get it. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Pamela Bow from Wichita, Kansas. Pamela will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Mary Payne Gilbert, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at the Mothership Law & Order, Season 10, Episode 6, Marathon. How'd you get it out of them so quick? What's that mean? I'm just saying pretty amazing. You're alone with the guy for 10 seconds and he gives it up. You don't believe it happened? Hey, I'm just asking how. I've been doing this for 25 years. I think I've earned the right not to be second-guessed. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. Rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Pink Shade podcast, it's Mary Payne Gilbert. Hello, Mary Payne. Hello. Thanks for having me. This is going to be really fun. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we're big fans of yours. You cover all sorts of reality shows on your Pink Shade podcast. You've got Malfeasance Monday and 90 Day Tuesday and Spaghetti Wednesday or all the other good stuff. Yeah. i got to ask, do you like a Law & Order episode that's more like a reality TV show episode or a reality show episode that's more like Law & Order? Well, we cover Love After Lockup on Mondays, and so that's probably the closest I'm getting on a weekly basis to just watching Law & Order in real time, because somebody's always doing something wrong, getting arrested. There's a, I've learned a lot about parole and probation and all sorts of things. I've learned all sorts of things from that show. All sorts of things you didn't think you'd need to know. <laughs> that's you don't really need to know, but... Yeah, same with 90 Day Fiance. I know the weirdest laws and rules of other countries, and sometimes it does come out as a party trick, and I'll just say... No, no, no. In India, you can't do that. Or it takes a long time to get divorced in the Philippines. And I know things and I don't know how I know them, but sometimes it pays off. What kind of parties are you going to? That's a party <laughs> trick. Our parents are so proud of us. Uh, so I, Mary Payne, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. I got to say, for the detectives, I do like the two that, that we're covering on this episode. I like Jerry Orbach, Lenny, and I like Jesse L. Martin, whatever his mm. name is. He's just so hot. Yeah. He's hot. He's gorgeous. Not hot. Gorgeous. There gorgeous. Yeah. He's, he's, he's stunning to look at. I love it when he speaks Spanish. Mm. Really like that a lot. But I got to say, I also really like Lenny and Benjamin Bratt. Curtis. Yeah. Curtis. Okay. I liked him too, but I got to go with Jesse. Very classic pick. And who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Well, I love Sam Waterston no matter what. He could do no mm-hmm. wrong. Love, love, love. And I'm going to go with Angie Harmon because I was going to say Mariska Hargitay and Christopher Maloney, but I think they're detectives. They yes. are. Yes. 
Okay. Yes. I don't understand. I don't understand the the allure of Maloney, Christopher Maloney. I don't get it. People are really hot for him and I don't get it. I like that about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a contrarian. I also like it that you like Carmichael because I always feel very alone that she's my favorite co-prosecutor with uh, McCoy. I really, really like Abby Carmichael. A she's lot. believable. She's very believable in that role. Angie Harmon is. Sometimes you get these chicks on here. No, no shade to chicks. But some of the chicks on here, you're like, no way that girl is an attorney. She doesn't seem like she would be an attorney. Or she doesn't seem like she's working in public service because she's so done up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order Season 10, Episode 6, Marathon. Well, Lenny Briscoe and his new partner, Ed Green, investigate the murder of a woman shot with a twenty-five during a broad daylight mugging by a guy on an expensive bicycle. Eva Harrison. Let's try to find her husband. Got two witnesses. Shooter was a Hispanic kid on a silver mountain bike. Every unit in the sector's looking. Daytime stick-up. Haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah, a real blast from the past. The detectives trace the bike to a guy who says he found it abandoned behind his building. Fingerprints on it come back to Bobby Sabo. When they go to question him at his grandmother's apartment, Sabo rushes up the roof and vanishes, leaving a winded Briscoe behind on the stairs. Van Buren is not happy with how the case is going. The brass is coming down on her, the eyewitnesses are contradicting each other, and Lenny and Ed just let their lead suspect get away. A phone call to his girlfriend leads them to the bus station where Briscoe arrests Sabo in the bathroom, taking a piss. The cocky suspect, and I just saw what I did there when I wrote that. <laughs> um, the cocky suspect really gets under Briscoe's skin, but when none of the witnesses can pick Sabo out of the lineup, they have to let him go. The detectives find a twenty-five pistol in Sabo's girlfriend's car, and they arrest him again. Lenny says he confessed, saying that white bitch got what she deserved, but no one else heard it. Sabo says Briscoe is trying to frame him, and Van Buren and Green aren't so sure that he's wrong. Plus, the gun they found isn't the murder weapon. With the tension growing between the partners, they find a guy who sold Sabo a new gun, then bust Flacco, who had the old one that was used in the robbery. With the murder weapon recovered, they cuff Sabo and charge him with the crime. Okay, though there were a bunch of people around, the eyewitness statements are all contradictory. And the two with the best look at the crime were a pair of German tourists. Yes. Yeah. He had a, what is the word? Beard? You mean a mustache? No, Heinrich, he had an empty fist. He had nothing. How can you say this? Did he have a hat? No. no. He had a black hat. That was his hair. All right, what was he wearing? A blue shirt. No, his shirt was black. His hair was black. His shirt was blue. I wonder they needed a wall. These German tourists look like they were uh, like Von Trapps escaping the Nazis at the end of The Sound of Music. Like they were the funniest, funniest witnesses I have ever seen. They also looked like the little guy in the Price is Right game. You know, the mountain climbers guy. Yeah. The yodel? Backpack. Yeah. The yodel. Yeah. yeah, they were like, let's typecast some German tourists, give them yeah. all the German tourist clothes, everything but the later hosen. <laughs> and now we've got ourselves some German tourists, it was like fake German accents. It was wild. It was like two. little Swiss Miss backpacks on it, too. <laughs> like, were they just going to the mountains? This is New York City. 
right? <laughs> Were they wearing that to like go up the stairs of the Empire State Building? That it was like everything they own is on their back. They're taking it with them. They've escaped. And did one of them make the joke about this is why we needed a wall? Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Briscoe's best line wow. ever. By the oh, way, did you notice gosh. how the other witnesses described those two? They said, you know, the blonde couple. <laughs> you know, Lysel and Ralph from The Sound of Music. One of them 16, going on 17. <laughs> Got a good look. They didn't seem that blonde to me, though. No, no, no. no we- not very Aryan. No. <laughs> I think like, like white, like white blonde is what I was thinking. The blonde couple. And I look over and I was like, these two? And they were obviously coming out of like a youth hostel, right? They're like, here we go. We're, we're tourists and we don't agree. And we're going to have like a real Abbott and Costello. You said, you said, and pointing at each other. Yeah. They were, yeah. they were worthless. Hand me the Leica, Hans. Hand me the Leica. <laughs> and their broken English was horrible. I mean, it was broken. It was just, you know, his face was blank or whatever it was about it. He didn't have a beard. It was... He had dark hair. No, that was a hat. <laughs> that, and she said it twice. She was like, that was that was his hat. That was his hat. That was his hair. I love when I watch the, a- the actors. The actors is what I love. I love. Now, this is why they lost two world wars. Right? Just... <laughs> to be fair, though, when we finally see Sabo or Sabo, whatever his name is, his hair 100% looks like a hat. 100%. It was that Ross uh, first season of Friends with that like slick <laughs> brush forward yeah. hair that looked like wet. Yeah. Yeah. So after paying some 10 year old informant 20 bucks. <laughs> I love that. They traced the $800 bike to the apartment of Danny Ruiz. He's black, not Latino. So they're about to leave him when Green rolls in with the bike. Silver Cobra with the fancy derailers. Where'd you get it? I bought it. So you have a receipt? I found it this afternoon. Someone left it behind the building. He says, here's a titanium bike. Mm-hmm. No, that's not actually titanium. It's aluminum, and it costs $70, prop department. <laughs> Did you look it up? Well, if you know anything about bikes, that's clearly an aluminum. Titanium is darker metal, and it's a $3,000 bike is what they're describing. Do you know as much about bikes as that little kid did on the street wearing the muscle shirt? <laughs> that kid knew a lot. He was like, it had the racing stripes, it had this, it had that. It was a, and you know, the point is that this person on a, what would be in today's money, maybe a $3,000 bike, isn't going to go by and shoot somebody for a, a purse napping. Apparently he did. Yeah. They just sell the bike. It's just sell the bike. <laughs> yeah, sell the bike. It's a bike. <laughs> yeah. He's like, where did you get the bike? And he's like, I found it behind the building. An hour ago. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. I agree with that. Sure. That's the thing I've learned from watching this show. (laughs) (laughs) So at one point they're looking for Sabo and it's clear that the call his girlfriend just got is from him. So Green uses that very high-end modern tech 1999 trick to trace the call. Star 6-9. Yeah. Yes. Star 6-9. He could have asked first. What, do you want a quarter? Where am I calling, please? No, this isn't a joke. This is police business. Now, that's called vertical service code. It's, um, I mean, so you press star and a couple of numbers, you get a different phone feature. I don't know if we all remember this because we all have computers in our pockets now that do this, but star 66 was continuous redial. That seems really annoying. Star 72 was call forwarding. And I want to know, what was the meeting like at AT&T when they pitched this feature to executives? It's like, well, which of the numbers are going to do the last two callback things? It's 69, obviously. (laughs) Straight face, 100%. No snickers. No giggles. Remember it cost extra, the star 69. Oh, yeah. You had to pay yes. a little bit every time you did it. I oh. know that because I had to get in trouble with my parents. Me too. 
Me too. <laughs> but you remember the worst is that you somebody would call you and you would start CCI and then they would pick up and you would be like, oh, like that was um, that was Dale. And then you would hang up and then you could press star something so they couldn't star 69 you back. Correct. There was yeah, there a is, like star 90, star 99 or, or whatever. Yeah, I think it's star 96. Correct. And yeah. the visuals here of the numbers are what's, you know. Young yes. people are going to be blown away. by. So we used to have to rent our telephones. Remember that? What? Really? You didn't own your, 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 your corded telephone. You didn't own it. The phone company did. You had to the rent it. The actual phone. Oh, I think yes. you're right. Because there were stores I, where you could I buy a phone. I know I'm right. You had to, before you, for a long time, you couldn't own your phone. You had to rent it. Kind of like the gas tank at your house. You had to rent it. You didn't own it. By the way, I'm sure some people own the gas tank at their house. We don't. But like, you had to rent it. And you had to pay extra every time you star 69 somebody. And yeah, yeah, there yeah, were yeah. 1-900 numbers that you could call to talk dirty to somebody. Yes. Just saying. I got in trouble for that, too. I I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'm not dirty like you, Rebecca. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Yeah, so start 69. Mary Payne, do you know what uh, start 68 is? It's when I do you and you owe me one. (laughs) (laughs) That is so bad. So we have a metric ton of Hey, It's That Guys. Hey, it's... That guy. Can you tell me the name of the actor playing the mugger and wise ass Bobby Sabo? Anyone recognize him? No. I didn't say nothing about no lady. He's trying to free me. Now, why would he do that? Because I burned their asses two times already. That's Guillermo Diaz. You know him from his seven seasons on Scandal as Huck, the former black ops assassin who now works for Olivia Pope. Didn't watch that show. Didn't, didn't watch, watch that, that show. show. Uh, let's see, he's also in season two of Law & Order Organized Crime. He's playing Stabler's commanding officer, Lieutenant Bill Brewster. I also don't watch that show unless Stabler and Olivia are almost getting it on. No. <laughs> I only watch SVU. You know, I'm an SVU completist, but I will never watch that stupid organized crime show. So Brewster, uh, he got to suspend Stabler, mm-hmm. ask him to turn in his gun and badge. I mean, this is like everybody's wet dream. Wow. Uh, but of course, uh, he lets him back two weeks later because it's really not much of a show without Stabler. Yeah, true. Can you give me the name of the actor who's playing his brother, Victor Sabo? <laughs> Yo, look, man, Bobby told me he was in a clear, right? And you believed him? You're an accessory to murder. Well, well you, you can't keep him so you're coming after me? That's Maximilio Hernandez. He's best known as Doc Rios on the Navy medical officer on the TNT drama The Last Ship. Oh, everyone watches that. Well, I only know about this oh, show. Oh, well-known show. Well-known show. <laughs> Everybody knows that one. Well, the only reason I know about that show is because I've been seeing the promos on Saturday mornings uh, when you're watching Law & Order and, you know, they both have gone off the air. But let me tell you what yeah. it was. The last ship, it's a, a world that has been hit by a pandemic and the crew of this Navy destroyer has socially distanced because they've been at sea. And it's been on for like seven seasons. Uh, their mission was to travel the ocean find a cure for the virus, and save the world. And in the finale, they return with horse dewormers and Clorox. (laughs) (laughs) We do have a Hey, It's That Girl. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's that girl. Who's playing the defense attorney, Ms. Torres? And no first name, just Ms. Torres. Ms. Torres, I know that one. Who is it? That is Luna Lauren Velez. We know her from Dexter. Yeah. Where she played the police lieutenant, uh, Maria LaGuerta. You were the only one to hear Mr. Sabo say this, even though your partner was 10 yards away. 
Yes, you're right, Rebecca. Three Law & Order uh, Universe appearances for the trifecta. She was also Detective Nina Moreno for four seasons on New York Undercover. And as you say, she was Captain Maria LaGuerto on Dexter, the cop who never knew that one of her employees was a serial killer. She figured it out eventually, I think. <laughs> Right near the end, didn't she figure it out? Yeah, I didn't watch Dexter because I was afraid of all the the graphic murdering. I was yeah, afraid. It's gross. Yeah, I didn't want to see that. It's also a terrible freaking show. Terrible. But it was one of those shows where like we started watching it and Gotta I hate murder watching. and it was like, oh, now we're in. I gotta fucking finish this. It was one of those. I just know that guy from um, Six Feet Under, Michael C. Hall. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that. So uh, Lauren has a twin sister, Lorraine who at times acted as her stand-in. <laughs> right? Sad. Yeah, and in season 13 of Law & Order, Lorraine had a speaking role, and Laura was her stand-in. What? Yeah. Okay. So I'm sure the mother was like, look, you have to do her this sound. She's done everything for you, okay? Mm. She'll just be so happy just this one time. Wow. It's like, and that's uh, how they did it. It's like Jill yeah. Hennessy and her twin. Yeah. Oh, also, I should tell you that uh, uh, Lauren Velez was also on Oz, along with who else? Chris Maloney. Chris along Maloney. with who else? Uh, uh, Skoda. <laughs> I knew you, you were just going to do yeah. the song. So. You get J.K. Simmons, but I all right, know, fine. but I knew you were going to go straight to the Skoda. Everybody knows the bit, except for Mary Payne. It was like, what the fuck was that all about? <laughs> all right. I know who J.K. Simmons is. <laughs> yes, are you rushing or dragging? Am I right? It's not my tempo. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> Who's the actor playing Diego Garza? That's Sabo's roommate. Yeah, I was on The Rock with Bobby for eight months. We're trying to get away from that. That was a big apartment, by the way. Yeah, not bad for a couple of parolees, right? I was like, wow, this is a big apartment. Yeah. Uh, that actor's name is Michael Irby. He made his network TV debut on Law & Order, and then he went on t- to be a season regular on... Line of Fire, The Unit, Almost Human, Taken, SEAL Team, and The Expanse. What? All of those shows. And he just finished HBO's Barry as Cristobos Fuentes, the head of the Bolivian mob. And he played Bishop in Mayans MC, El Presidente of the Mayans Motorcycle Club. Huh. So he's got a lot of work. Yes. He's a working actor. A working yeah. actor. Absolutely. He also played on Team USA soccer team. Yes, wow. soccer. Sport of the future. And, and always, always will, will be. It's <laughs> a thinker. How about this? Can you tell me the name of the actor playing Chino, the gang member from the street corner? Said he was going to his abuela's house to pick something up. Listen, I know who he is, but I don't know his name. All right, I'll give you his name and then you can fill in the rest. Okay. The actor's name is Adam Rodriguez. Yeah, he's on 10 million things. Like he was on like CSI Miami or something like forever. Yeah. He was on uh, another yeah. show like forever. Yeah, he was uh, 10 seasons as Detective Eric Delco on CSI Miami. 10 seasons. Uh, he's also the son-in-law of Max Gale. And that's the actor who played... Woja Hoetz on Barney Miller. Wow. Yeah. And, and Mike uh, Corgan on General Hospital. You guys remember this. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah right. Yes. You mean uh, Sonny's dad. Sonny's dad on General Hospital. There you go. Yeah. You, just, you, got me with, uh, you got me with Barney Miller. I used to love that show when I was little. Yeah, I loved it. And Fish and... When we were watching, yeah, I was watching, great baseline. Fun boom, fact, boom, boom, yeah. I still yeah. watched General Hospital. And a couple years ago, when there was a scene with Mike... Yeah, who recently who died of Alzheimer's? Or yeah. like in a couple mm. years ago, and there was a dream sequence where Sonny was visited by his dead dad. Kevin walks in and goes, "Wojo Howitz is on General Hospital." It's Wojo. 
like like five or four or five primetime Emmy nominations. That's a good guy. <laughs> Rebecca should also uh, know Adam Rodriguez as uh, uh, from his performances as Tito in all of the Magic Mike movies. Oh, yeah, I love those movies. Hey. Uh, I know Magic Mike is on television because all of the batteries go missing from the kitchen drawer. <laughs> so who Come is on it? now. Who is making his uh, network television debut as lucky bicycle owner Danny Ruiz, or Ruiz, or whatever the argument was all about? <laughs> Who lives in this apartment? My uncle's on the lease. He's a close personal friend of Johnny Cochran. So I'll ask you one more time. That's Russell Hornsby. Uh, he'd go on to have starring roles in Fences with Denzel Washington, The Hate You Give. And for six seasons, he was on NBC's supernatural drama Grimm. Wow. As a monster-slaying homicide detective... Hank Griffin. He's doing great. Again, another great working, working actor. actor. So much work working came act? out of this. Yeah. Uh, he also played Don King in the Mike Tyson miniseries Mike hmm. last okay. year. His wig received an Emmy nomination for its performance. <laughs> <laughs> I got to know if you recognize the uh, witness who knew all about the titanium bicycles. Hey, look, the guy rode by me on an $800 mountain bike. I didn't know he was going to kill somebody. I think I know where I know him from, but I don't know his name. Okay, that's Tommy Michaels. Can I guess where I know him from? Yeah. Was he a child actor on a soap opera? Maybe like All My Children. Yeah, eight years on All My Children as Timmy Hunter. Yes! Wow! Yeah, over the years, young Timmy found nude photos of teenager Laura Kirk online and passed them around at school and tried to break up his father and Janet by sending her a jack-o'-lantern with an axe shoved in it and then later locked himself in a meat freezer and blamed her for it. He was a bad boy, bad kid. Yeah, God, that's a problem. That's a problem. So lastly, who is the actress who's playing the director of that art school in the senior center? What time was her class over? Supposed to be at 11, but she stayed till 12. Her students love her. I don't know how I'm going to tell them. That sad lady. That was a bad wig. She had a bad wig. I agree. She was the saddest woman I've ever seen. She was sad. She was sad. That is Cece Loveheart. She was on 270 episodes of Pinwheel which is Nickelodeon's answer to Sesame Street. Oh. Okay. She played, she played Coco the Mime, and then no one has heard from her since. <laughs> These are bad jokes. <laughs> Rebecca, you know why there aren't more famous female mimes? Why? The glass ceiling. <laughs> so the call leads them to the Port Authority bus station, and they follow Bobby Sabo into the bathroom, and corner him at the urinal. Hands on the wall, Bobby. Okay, let me finish. Now. Just a second. Let me see your hands. Relax, man. I said show me your hands. What, is that what you want to see, your marico? Zip it up, Sable. Boy, they missed a real, like, Abbott and Costello opportunity here if it was like, show me your hands. Well, I'm trying to pee. Well, hold it. Well, I can't hold it. Now I'm holding it. And, like, you know, put your hands up, and now I gotta hold it again. <laughs> yeah. Am I the only one, Mary Payne, who was obsessed with the fact that they didn't ask him to wash his hands before they took his hands and put them in those cuffs? I, I, they, for, they missed a great opportunity for a joke right there, too, mm-hmm. to be like, but first you got to wash your hands like that. They, they just, yeah, but the whole like turn it around and peeing thing, I was like, well, you knew that was going to happen. But then I was waiting for some sort of hand washing something and nothing happened. And then I was disgusted. Yes. You know what I was waiting for? If, once they put him in his handcuffs, who's going to tuck him back in? <laughs> it's like, before I cuff you, 
you're gonna you're gonna shake it off a little bit, uh-huh. and then you're sticking it back in because uh-huh. I'm yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. You also Good know point. what was missing from that scene? Sound effects. <laughs> uh, so if you like Easter eggs, uh, there's one where Sabo's girlfriend, you know, they find the gun in her car, and she says, "That stupid Bobby, I'm gonna kill him." Be our guest. Oh, there's I a love link that. to a certain Oscar nominated Disney song sung by Jerry Orbach. Yes, as Lumiere. Try the gray stuff, it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I miss that. You I miss that too. That. Cute. Uh, there are a couple of recurring themes in the episode. Uh, the, you know, they kind of play into each other here. One is that Lenny feels like, you know, maybe not, is he too old for the job? Yes. He's going to get the first glimpse when he gets winded running up the stairs. We had him. Guy's too fast. Should have had somebody cover the roof, Lenny. My fault. Don't worry about it. I have a question about yeah. that scene. Where the fuck did Bobby Sabo go? He, he went was, to the roof and vanished. He was like, it was like when Prince threw that guitar in the air at the end of that My Well, My Guitar Gently Weeps performance, you know, that like George Harrison tribute thing, and he just like threw the guitar in the air and never came back. Well, what was it on, on uh, The Wire? Was it Omar who jumped out a window and nobody knew where he went and somehow he survived? <laughs> I, I, I have to assume this is like every other scene they show in New York where people are just roof jumping. But why didn't they yeah. at least like pan the camera to show that he jumped to this other roof and they weren't going to be able to get him? And then also that scene where they're running up the stairs and Lenny can't make it. I, the whole time I'm thinking, why is he going first? Why is he going <laughs> first? <laughs> get out of Green's way. <laughs> get out of his way. Yes, that's what I thought too. And then this is where we're first getting this glimpse of, oh, this is going to be a theme of he's too old or, you know, as Mel Gibson would say, I'm too old for this shit. No, it was Danny Glover. I'm too old for this shit with Mel Gibson. I was like, this is going to be the same thing. Now, I'm wondering, too, since you guys are such experts, if following this particular episode, if it if it continues to be a theme or they just drop it after this episode that he's that he's thinking he's too old. Well, I think the idea that he is too old kind of doesn't really come up again very much. By the way, how old do you think Jerry Orbach is in this episode? Oh, people looked so old in the 90s. In this episode? In this particular um, episode where he's too old. I think he looks 65. You know, he's 64, which is one year older than mandatory retirement age at the NYPD. Wow. Okay. Nice guess, Mary Payne. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's also this other theme that comes in where they're finding out it's, uh, they're finding it hard to believe Lenny's story that Sabo spontaneously confessed when no one else could hear it. You know why? Why? Because Lenny's a perpetual line stepper. That's why. Or as McCoy says, he's kicked the ball onto the freeway once or twice. <laughs> the fairway. The fairway. Oh, the fairway. Yes. Oh, I mean golfing. Okay. Cheating at golf. I thought Cheating he kicked the ball in the, into traffic to get the kids killed. No, okay. he's kicked the ball into the fairway. He goes over to where his ball is when he's playing golf and nobody is looking and he kicks it. So he gives himself a few it's just closer to the fairway. See, so he would have done that in the urinal, though, if that was really <laughs> kicking a ball. <laughs> yeah, so the theme is that is he past his prime mm-hmm. and does he break the rules too often to be trusted? And this is Green's view of him because Green is new. So we're right. getting Green's perspective of Briscoe. Where are the eyewitnesses? We found two. They couldn't make IDs. We still have the guy's confession. You have a confession? Well, do you or don't you? The guy said he did it. What's the problem? Nobody heard it except Detective Briscoe. So you don't believe him? We need corroboration. Right. Well, it's not lost on me that when the chief is like, 
talking to him about it, that it's the two black cops that say, you know, I think the suspect's civil rights might be violated. And the white cop says, well, he made a secret confession. And the chief says, good enough for me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Cuff him up. And when he finds out the guy's Puerto Rican, it's like death penalty. Yeah, discount Willem Dafoe has it out. Out. For the POCs in New York, for sure. That guy was a prick. <laughs> I hated that guy. <laughs> Give me an arrest. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yeah, By the yeah. way, I was saying, like, Anita Van Buren is, like, really pissed in this episode. Love it. Thanks for all your wonderful support in there. I don't want to hear it, Lenny. Do we have other leads? Well, I'll tell you the truth. You tr- know what? Why don't we shake this up a little bit? Lenny, you can work the phones with Sanders, and you and Lamont can look for the murder weapon. Does Lamont, like, not wear deodorant or something? Like, no one wants to work with that guy. <laughs> oh, Lamont, you mean the uh, the new Profaci? Profaci. He's like, Lamont's going to toss the place alone, and then he's going to sit outside alone in his car. And then when it's suggested that, like, Green is going to pair up with Lamont, he's like... I'd rather work with Lenny, who I actually hate right now, than be with Lamont. Like I know. <laughs> By the way, she does have that face where she like when she's not happy that she looks at the two of them as if to say, as she as has happened. I have two sons, and they have seen me shoot somebody at an ATM. So do not fuck with me. <laughs> I love uh, her in this episode. Yeah. Right. You know, she's like has to go to bat for Briscoe and she's not like really happy about that. Don't make me do that again. Yeah. I got to say, like, I'm not even sure if Briscoe is lying about this and I need my dog after him. (laughs) All right. Let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Flacco has agreed to testify against Bobby Sabo, but now his attorney wants to suppress the gun they claim Briscoe illegally seized. Detective Briscoe served three years in anti-crime. He was trained to recognize individuals who carry guns. The detective played a hunch. The police can't pat down law-abiding pedestrians on intuition. This was more than intuition. The suspect was walking in an unusual manner, which indicated he had a handgun. Or a cell phone or hemorrhoids. Their only remaining evidence is Briscoe's claim that he heard Sabo confess. At a suppression hearing, his attorney attacks Briscoe's credibility and accuses him of fabricating evidence. Sabo testifies the detective had a grudge against him. He even made him piss on his brand new sneakers during the bathroom takedown. The judge believes Sabo's claims and dismisses the charges. Though he thinks everyone believes he's too old for the job, Briscoe picks up on something from Sabo's testimony. What happened to the old sneakers he was wearing? They recovered the old shoes stained in the victim's blood. Looking at serious time, Sabo has a proposal. If McCoy will offer a light sentence, he'll give up the name of the notorious Murray Hill rapist. Carmichael is outraged, but Schiff says, "Uh, make the deal. (laughs) (laughs) Jack gets one more bit of information out of him. Sabo says Briscoe was telling the truth. In reality, he did say he gave the white bitch what she deserved. So I love New York justice. They have to have this whole hearing with witness testimony and bring in a judge to determine whether or not to keep Sabo's confession. But the toss out Flacco's gun conversation in the hallway. He was a possible accessory to murder. Possible, possible, possible. It turned out the detective was right. No, no, I don't buy it, Miss Carmichael. The Fourth Amendment requires a little more than just a funny walk. This police tactic has been accepted in other cases. Not in my court. What do you say, Judge? Okay, fuck, I don't even, is anybody even taking notes? Well, I took notes. Um, That search for that gun was totally illegal, and that gun should not have been put into evidence because even Flacco knew 
that x-ray eyes does not a search make. Like, you cannot just say, you're walking a little heavy on the left, my friend. I mean, I know New York cops do it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not a reason to stop somebody because they look like they're walking a certain way. It's not okay. Yeah, but that character actor was really leaning into that role. You, you, yeah. Like we said, he was like you said, he's a working actor. He was he did a great job. I I was like, yeah, throw him against the wall. He's guilty. Take his gun. Yeah. <laughs> we had a deal. Hey, my lawyer beat the case. Your lawyer's not here. I'm talking to you, Lenny. Lenny, come on. Was Flacco the one that said that Lenny had an old man smell? No, that was Saba. Saba had a lot of good lines in this episode. Yeah, I get it. It's kind of building into this idea about, you know, Lenny's not feeling good about anything right now, including whether or not, like, he's a good partner for Green. So there's this growing tension between the two of them. Remember, Green has only been his partner for five and a half episodes. And... In case, uh, you know, in this case, it's mostly in Briscoe's head, but he thinks Green is calling him a liar about the confession. And then Green tries to defend himself after he stops Briscoe from roughing up an inmate. And then later it boils over in the squad room when uh, Lenny throws a transcript at him. If it wasn't for your screw-ups, we'd have nailed this guy a long time ago. My screw-ups? Your stuff's been getting thrown out of court ever since you got here. Well, maybe I take chances because my partner can't get it up. Maybe you just get off on taking chances. Briscoe! The best part, though, is when he says, hand me back that transcript I just threw at you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How many times has he been divorced? I forget. (laughs) I have a question for you guys. In this scene where they had the fight with the throwing of the transcript and the other one where he said they had to go to all the pizza parlors. Yeah. In both of those scenes, Green's on the phone and he's blah, blah, blah. He's making plans and he takes money out of his wallet, puts it in his pocket and then puts his wallet in his pants. What is what does that mean? Why is he taking money out of his wallet into this pocket? And what what did that mean? I didn't understand. It's a great point. So this this character is new and he'll be on for, I think, seven more seasons. Ed Green, they originally envision him as a gambler and he is. But his nickname is Fast Eddie, which we never hear from again. And so even though we know that like he, you know, likes to place bets and the whole reason that he ends up leaving the show several years later has to do with a gambling debt. He, you know, and he's playing fast and loose. This doesn't really end up being the character that we know Ed Green at. And this happens a lot in the show, like when detectives come on. First, you have Briscoe. When he comes on, everybody thinks he might be a dirty cop. Uh, Then when Green comes on, maybe he's a gambling addict. When uh, Fontana comes on, he's also maybe he's a dirty cop. And right now on the new Law and Order, everybody thinks he might be a racist cop. But then in a couple episodes later, they just become regular cops, and we're supposed to like them. And it just it's it is very interesting. It is a good thing you 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 picked up. It looked like he was grabbing a bunch of money and he was going to go play cards in he Atlantic was. City like yeah. he always does. Right, because because uh, Lenny Briscoe referred to that. He said, "Don't draw an inside straight." Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. later in the show, they refer to his ga- his old gambling problem. Yeah. But there isn't really like some sort of downward shame spiral like, like like we see with Rollins like with Green it's just sort of referred to but what he's doing as somebody who maybe gambles once in a while he's taking the money out that he plans to spend on gambling and keeping the rest of the money that he can't gamble with in his wallet I know that trick Okay, like well, the- in my mind, I was like, is it, is it like when you go to Vegas and you're like, once I lose this $100, like, that's it. Now, if you yes. have a gambling problem, you're not going to be like, well, let me just get my wallet. I mean, you know, of course you are. But that's what I was thinking. Is it because he's going to gamble and he's only going to spend this much in this front pocket, you know, unless he leaves his wallet there? 
I don't know. I just, I was like, he's going to gamble. It was a tell for us. Yeah. It was a tell for us, a signal okay. that he's going to go do something with yeah. that money. I went to Vegas recently for BravoCon. I spent $20 on one slot machine. It took four seconds. I was like, that's it. I'm done. It's $20. I lost it. <laughs> Nickel slots. We would have been there all week. Yeah, yeah. So if Saba was wearing these new sneakers when he was arrested, Briscoe wonders, well, what happened to the sneakers he was wearing at the time of the shooting? So they go back to his apartment and they find them in the closet and they say, well, these sneakers were covered with blood. You know what else they were covered with? What? Piss. Because, <laughs> you know, once you piss on your AJs, uh-huh. you know, you're going to piss over and Then all I the had AJs. to think about that for a minute, too. I was like, what's AJs? I was like, ah, oh, Air Jordan. All Air right. Jordans, yes. Nice. Yes, I had a Star 69 that one. Absolutely. <laughs> Why did they think he? I had old sneakers? Why wasn't he? These are just the sneakers. Because he's, he's wearing new shoes. After the the shooting. How did they know he also didn't wear those same new shoes at the shooting? Because he didn't have them. He used the money from the... Oh, see? I see. This is why the a younger generation is not going to pick up on this like Briscoe does. Oh, okay. You're right. We need that seasoned detective mind. And also yeah. the, friend, the friend in the Bronx or wherever was holding those shoes for his nephew. And I was like, did you know they were covered in blood and pee-pee? <laughs> Does your nephew want those? You know, they smell bad. I mean, who yeah. wants uh, somebody else's sneakers? I mean, even if they're AJ's. It's just a yeah. nephew. I mean, come on. That's true. They And they handled those sneakers like they were radioactive. You know, not because it's like evidence. It's just like, this is nasty stuff. <laughs> you touched his them. dick earlier in the end. Yeah, like, I've seen this guy's balls. I can only imagine what these shoes are. like. Yeah. So McCoy wants to throw the book at Sabo until he learns that he knows the identity of the Murray Hill rapist. He knows this because, what, he's heard things through his travels. Now, how does that happen? He's in jail and says, hi, I'm the Murray Hill rapist. I, I mean, Tony. <laughs> Oops. Sorry, Freudian slip. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't imagine that the Murray Hill rapist wants to keep on raping is going to be telling people about it. He's, he's going to try to keep it up. Yeah. Who did he tell? Well, I, assume, I assume the Murray Hill rapist is out, right? So somebody yeah, in jail yeah, I, is like, so. <laughs> I got a name for you. So here's the thing, uh, Bobby. Uh, even though I'm in Rikers right now, uh, my friend who I called on the phone yesterday told me that he's the Murray Hill rapist. Can right. And that guy's it? not going to use that for his own get out of jail free card. He's going to exactly. give it to this other guy. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's very strange. Hey, by the way, there actually was a Murray Hill rapist. 15 years later, he went to jail in 2015, but Whoa. I don't know if they watched an episode on TNT and they're like, hey, you know that name sticks. Yes. Uh, or I not. know where Murray Hill is. Me too. You do? No, I mean, that's what the guy was saying when he watched the show. <laughs> oh. I know where Murray Hill is. <laughs> I, I have plans for that place. It's 101st and 5th. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, so in the end, McCoy has to ask Sabo what he actually heard Briscoe say. Detective Briscoe. What about him? You really shook him up. Yeah, I guess I did. You went one-on-one and you beat him. Hey, we ain't all stupid. So what did you say to him when he arrested you? What I told the old cop, that I gave that bitch what she deserved. So does the audience need to hear this, or will they go away doubting Briscoe as well? I think the audience needs to hear it. Yeah, the audience needs to hear him say verbatim what he said, yeah. Yeah. You would have, like, ended this episode without hearing that. You would have thought that maybe Briscoe did make it up. I would have been 50 50. I would have been split. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think that the audience needed to hear it because we need to, with Briscoe especially, because we know he is an older guy. 
Mm-hmm. We doubt da- we saw so much liberal stuff in this episode, right? We saw so much progressive stuff. We saw the judge like completely stand by like all the rights of the defendants, right? We see Green like being a more I don't want to say progressive because he didn't really like care that Briscoe was beating up the dude. He just stopped him from beating up the dude. But we did see this like tension between mm-hmm. this like younger black cop and this older white cop. I just think that in order to accept them as growing together as partners and like the friendship that, you know, they have to form in order for us, to, I think that we needed to see it. I do. Also, it's Jerry Orbach. We have to like him. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with all that. It's I, a rule. I mean, you say, yeah. That I think it's smart to, you know, keep it so that you like your hero. In not question because then it would, you'd be expecting it to come up again in further episodes. Correct. It was great when Van Buren got to tell Lenny that, you know, what McCoy learned. Yeah. McCoy says Sable cop to the confession. How nice of my pal Bobby. And tell him I plan on doing this job for my wheelchair. <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> Even if Trump gets elected again, you can do the fucking job. No one's going to stop you. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. Inspiration for this episode comes from the murder of Jacqueline Fraser. On the morning of April the 15th, 1999, the 34-year-old New York woman was taking her laundry to the cleaners when a bicyclist tried to grab her purse. After a struggle, the robber fatally shot her in the chest with a 25 caliber handgun. Working off a security video and a police sketch, detectives brought in Sean Harris for questioning. After talking about several unrelated robberies, they showed Harris photos of Frez's body. When asked if the shooting was intentional, Harris said it was a mistake. His efforts to get this brief incriminating statement suppressed were not successful. The robbery gone wrong grabbed tabloid headlines. The incident shook the city, not because it was an elaborate homicide, but because it grew out of a routine mugging in broad daylight. In March 2001, a jury convicted Harris of first-degree murder. He's currently serving a 25-years-to-life sentence at the Wallkill Correctional Facility in upstate New York. Uh, so Harris said he needed $50 because he owed someone $60 for losing a bag of marijuana uh, that he left in a hat on a basketball court. Again, the math doesn't work on that. He should be trying to steal $60. But, right. Uh, so this wasn't a society murder. It was impulsive and wasteful. This got headlines and vanished from the news. Do these kinds of murders kind of distort public perception of what the crime rate actually is in our communities? Things like this? Yes. Next question. Well, no, explain. No, yes, because they they lead to fear mongering, right? And by the way, he got that's a first degree murder charge on that. That's very strange. This is not a premeditated crime. Is this one of those things where he got first degree murder because he did it while I, committing another crime, something like that? I I don't know. I that's very strange, and it's very strange to get a life sentence for this crime. But anyway, yeah, that um, seems like a long sentence. Yeah, yeah. If, if but I mean, maybe he was a habitual purse snatcher and he had a long yeah. list of other things he'd done yeah it seems political and that's and that's like this is one of those things where like a crime like this becomes political and it gets used it gets used to uh sort of inflate perception about danger and then that gets used to like pass 
new laws that end up like creating all sorts of problems. And I'm not saying that that it's 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 like not terrible that this woman was killed because obviously it is. But absolutely, these kinds of crimes get politicized all the time. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that this this defendant was like the smartest guy and or these cops were the most clever but they were doing some really weird shit during this interrogation like they they like they said they needed his dna so they took not a swab but a regular q-tip and they ran it through his mouth and then they stuck it in a cigar tube what and they gave it to somebody said quick get this to the chopper and run it to quantica they were like fucking with the guy like they were trying to play these mind games like thinking it was more important but it was so weird and comical the way they were doing it it was like mr biggs in the other room and he's gonna he would just it was nuts. So, like, to finish up on that thought, no crime is acceptable. But I think, like, unless it's a 0% crime rate, I think any incident that you're made of made aware of is going to challenge your sense of safety, right? If the neighbor next door has their house broken into, mm-hmm. and there are no other houses in the city ever broken into, you're going to feel like maybe your house is next. Even yes. though, statistically, the odds are super, super slim, right? Yeah. Right. There was this very, like, strange... And like we don't really have murders like where we live much, mm-hmm. but there was this very strange murder here where this a couple got murdered while they were walking in the woods. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Kevin was like, should you be walking in the woods? And I was like, I should, because the one murder that happened here that while that was happening has already happened. So it is. Well, the guy hadn't been caught yet. So I just. <laughs> but you know, it's now 100 percent definitely not going to happen to me. Because... Well, I don't know if you guys listen to my favorite murder, but, you know, that's mm-hmm. one of the yeah. rules. You don't go in the woods. <laughs> right, right. It's one of the rules. Yeah, but Mary Payne, this is like when you see, perhaps we'll call them isolated incidents, or maybe there's a trend or whatever. But there's an idea that, that for certain news consumers, that this creates this idea that the crime rate is worse than it actually is, and that you know any night somebody might crack open the living room window and crawl in while you're on your Barca lounger to take all your goods and, yeah. and you know, kidnap your children. Yeah, I, I think it would, to me, this would symbolize more if I was in that neighborhood at that time and this happened, which, by the way, is pretty interesting that this ripped from the headlines and nowhere in that did the uh, suspect say that white bitch got what she deserved. Uh, what he actually said was it was a mistake. That's kind of that would have been an interesting twist to the law and order story. But I, I think that if I lived in that neighborhood, it would make me worried that I'm walking along, get my dry cleaning, and somebody tried to snap my purse and then shot me. Yes, it would make you worried. But I think the lesson here is just give them your purse. Just give them your purse. And speaking of living in that neighborhood, uh, the New York Times interviewed somebody before they were famous. Before they were famous. Or maybe before they were semi-famous. It was 22-year-old neighbor Stephanie Sellers, who later made it in New York as a filmmaker, an actress, and the sex columnist for the New York Press. Hmm. And Rebecca, you should be pleased to know that she has four stars on WikiFeet. Oh, goodness. Oh, wonderful. No, I just made that up, of course. She said, this is the quote from the paper, uh, it just scares me because I'm young like her. This is why I don't ever wear expensive jewelry and try to walk with a confident air. Things have been fine, but on the street, I look straight ahead and walk quickly like I'm on a mission. And does this explain why women would eventually become addicted to true crime podcasts? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm a special snowflake and everything. I'm, I'm the one that's going to get. Why I'm do next. men like war movies? I don't like this uh, women love true crime podcast thing. It's such a sexist BS thing. Don't ask me that question. You know, I don't like it. I don't like it. You know, amen. I don't like it. <laughs> 
Amen, sister. <laughs> so, Miss Friends. Go watch your Martin oh. Scorsese bullshit and ask me why women like true crime podcasts again. How about you do that? <laughs> well, I mean, it is also like why I won't borrow money from a loan shark because I have seen those those movies too. Get your knees broken. So Miss Frenza was killed carrying a large canvas bag filled with dirty clothes. Huh. And I'll say that could happen to me and Rebecca would still berate me for not doing the laundry. 100%. Over my dead body. <laughs> That's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Mary Payne Gilbert. Mary Payne, where can our listeners follow you online? Please follow me on Instagram at PinkShadePod. And Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can follow me everywhere at Reb Lavoie. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You also can tweet to us at Law & Order Pod and follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast or like and subscribe on YouTube and TikTok. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy, Lily Flynn handles promotions. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media.